great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain that I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to hell spoke your name into the
Lord, that no matter what we go through, you are always there. You are always the same. You are constant. You are for us. You are behind us and before us, above us and below us. Always holding us. Always walking with us. We need not lose hope because you are our hope. Our living hope. No matter what we go through. It's in your name we, we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Kids can head their way downstairs. Hey, I'm so excited to be here this morning. If you haven't had the chance to meet me yet or you're new, my name is Jacob. Um, I'm the director of Next Generation Ministries here at Tapestry, meaning I get to hang out with all the kids from ages infant to senior in high school. So I really have the coolest job in the entire world. Uh, I love my job. Also, I love, uh, I have a huge passion to preach. And so I'm super thankful that Phil opened this up for me, this opportunity this morning. And he was brave, and he let me preach on whatever I wanted to. Uh, And so with that, uh, I was inspired by this book in the Bible to preach on this idea of time. Time, and that's what we're going to be diving in tomorrow or today. And really this idea of time, that timing matters as a Christian. Timing matters. So we all have 24 hours in a day. Most of us wouldn't argue that. Uh, 24 hours in a day. And the truth is, is that we can't buy time. We can't create time. We can't make time. We can either spend time or waste time. See, timing is everything. The more I thought about this idea of time, the more I was kind of blown away by how timing just works for everything. Like, for example, a surfer... Uh, he has to wait for the right time for the perfect wave. He'll, he'll let some waves go because they're not the right one. But at the right time, he feels a good one coming. He starts, he starts paddling. And at the right time, this wave carries him for, for a little ways. And then, again, at the right time, the, the wave, he has to know when to exit it. Because if he doesn't exit at the right time, this wave's going to crash over him. Or he's going to face plant into the shore. For another example, uh, a farmer has to know the right time to, to plant his crop to get the highest value of the seed. And then at the right time, he has to know when to, uh, when to harvest this crop to get the highest value. A musician has to be able to, to keep time, to, to be able to bring all these notes together for one beautiful piece. And even bigger than that, if a bunch of instruments come together... A whole band can make this beautiful noise because they're keeping time. Uh, Actually, I'm uh, quite the musician myself. I I played the trombone for eight years in high school. Uh, Yeah, yeah. No, I was awful. Uh, I was absolutely awful. My my band teacher, he didn't like me because I was so bad at keeping time. You know how, like, a musician, he will, uh, or an instructor, they'll be up front and they'll wave their finger. Well, mine, mine, did, mine clapped, so mine clapped to keep the time for everyone. 
And if you notice, uh, if you've watched a concert, a lot of the musicians, when they're playing, they'll, they'll tap their foot at the same time. Uh, so they don't have to look at the instructor and their sheet music at the same time. So they'll, they'll tap their foot. Well, my problem was, the second I took my eye off his clapping, my foot would like start to freak out and twitch. And then by the end of the first measure, I'm almost done with the song. And so I would get myself off, obviously, and then I would get my whole band off, and then my instructor would get so mad, and I kid you not, one time, seventh grade, Christmas concert, all the parents were out there, my, I got everyone so off in the middle of a song, my band teacher was so, like, his face got red, and he, he makes a stop halfway through the song, and he's like, you know what, just go. Like, we, he just kept going on with the concert, had his exit, because of my, I just threw everything off, because I wasn't good at time. Well, I'm sure a lot of you guys know someone who else, someone in your life who isn't good at keeping time. They're late to absolutely everything. and It's so frustrating. Uh, some people are already pointing. I can see, yes, pointing. Maybe you're the person who is bad at time. Well, in college, uh, my first couple of years of college, I ran cross country and I had this roommate. Uh, actually, we, we had separate rooms, but we shared the living room. There's like an apartment style. We were on the cross-country team together, and that weekend we were going to Muskegon, Michigan to run a race. So we had quite the traveling, and I get on the bus that morning, and my coach was like, hey, where's, where's so-and-so? I'm like, well, I don't know. He's not my responsibility. Well, of course, I had to go retrieve him. And so I go to the room. The lights are off. There's no sight of movement. And I go knock on his door. I'm like, hey. Dude, it's time to go. You're going to miss the bus. Kept knocking like, you, you're not going to be able to run the race. And I hear him like fly out of his bunk bed and he swings open the door and he's like, yo, I overslept. And I'm like, no kidding. We're, we're like on the bus. Team's ready to go. You're like 20 minutes late. And he's like, I haven't even packed my bags yet. I'm like, okay, well, that's your deal. We're, we're leaving. So I get in the bus and my coach, I'm like, hey, he's coming. He's packing his bags. He's like, you know what? We've, We've waited long enough. Uh, we're going to have someone else run in his place. We're leaving. So we go to Muskegon, Michigan. We all ran our best times. And so I'm sure he was kicking himself so much for not being able to be on time. Because timing is everything. And so like I said, we're going to be looking at the book of Esther this morning. And this theme of time is woven throughout the entire book uh, of Esther. And so um, we're covering a lot to get this whole idea of time. I basically have to cover the whole book. So I'm just going to hit the key points. But I really recommend going, making this your devotion, this book, throughout the week. Because the detail, the richness of this whole entire book is incredible. But to set up the story of Esther, it's so exciting, so fun. Uh, it's a story of a Jewish community living in exile in the Persian capital. And right away, we're introduced to this king of uh, the king of Persia, who is a complete drunk. And not only that, is he's a pushover. Anyone could talk him into doing anything. So these aren't great qualities of a king. And we're we're introduced to him in chapter one, where he's having a seven-day party to show how great he is. Seven-day party, ain't no party like a Persian party. <laughs> he. 
seven days. And so by the seventh day, he's, he's very drunk. And he's, he goes and he has people bring him his wife because he wants to show off her beauty to uh, his friends. And so people go get her and she is bold and she goes, no. Like she just sits straight up and says, no, I'm not going. Well, this makes him mad, uh, of course, to tell the king that. And so he gets rid of her and he's needing a new queen. And so what does he do? He has this huge beauty pageant, basically, in the entire community to see who will be his next queen. The person that wins will be the next queen. Well, that's when we're introduced to Esther, uh, one of the main characters, which is why the book is called Esther. Uh, and Esther is a, a Jewish girl, and she enters this pageant. But like I said, the Jewish people are in exile in this Persian community. And so she keeps her secret, uh, or her identity a secret. She keeps it quiet and doesn't tell people her identity. Well, she enters this pageant and she wins out of everyone. Uh, she just so happens to win. So if this, this story is maybe sounding like a Disney movie, just like how every Disney movie plays out, trust me, it gets better. It's way, this is actually a true story. Um, and then we're introduced to uh, her cousin, in Mordecai in the next chapter, uh, and Mordecai is basically, uh, he's, he's her cousin, but he basically plays the father, the uncle role. He looks after Esther, and he just so happens to be uh, in the right place at the right time, and he hears these two royal priests outside the palace, or royal uh, guards outside the palace, plotting to kill the king. And so he tells Esther, the new queen, uh, who tells the king, and Mordecai gets uh, the credit for saving his life. He gets praised for saving the king's life. And so all of a sudden, these nobodies just become somebodies. Out of just a couple instances, you're like, how did this happen for this family, um, these two people? And in chapter 3, we're introduced to the villain of the story, because there's no good story without a villain, uh, and Haman. And so if this was a Disney movie, I would picture him as like Jafar from Aladdin, you know, that always up to no good and when we're introduced to him, all of a sudden he's raised to the highest position in the kingdom. He has uh, high authority. And right away he's loving, like he has a lot of pride. He loves the power. And so he, he has everyone bow to him when they're in his presence. Well, Mordecai, he, he's not having any of this. He's like, why should I bow to him? Uh, he's just another guy. And so this makes Haman so mad. Like... When I say mad, he puts up a 70-foot 70 70 foot stake to impale him on, to kill him on. You've got to be pretty mad if you're 70 feet tall. And not only that, is once he finds out Mordecai is Jewish, he goes to the king and he says, I want all of the Jews to be killed in this community. Well, the king, like I said, he's a pushover. He'll do anything. So he signs this crazy decree that all of the Jews to be killed on this certain day not knowing that his wife is Jewish. And so uh, things aren't going good at all. Uh, and Mordecai uh, and Esther, obviously this makes them really sad. They're people, they're, they're scared, they're terrified. But what I want you to know is, is that they don't, they don't sit still in, uh, in the midst of crisis. They don't like feel sorry for themselves. They don't just sit there and weep. They, they do something about it. And Mordecai... Uh, he knows that Esther has to be the connecting piece to all this. He's like, she's queen now. She has to be 
is a connecting piece. So she goes to Esther and she he tells her that she needs to go talk to the king and get this reversed. And uh, well, this causes a lot of problems. It's not as easy as it sounds in our world because in their time, for someone to come to the king without requesting him requesting first, they would get killed. Like even his wife couldn't just come to him. He would have to request her first. And so uh, Esther also, in order to get him to reverse this, she would have to reveal her her identity, and which would basically tell the king that her life has been a lie and this would make him mad. So Esther was really risking her life. Um, it doesn't sound much in today's world, but then it was like a huge deal. She was risking her life. And uh, like most of us, she tries to come up with another plan, uh, one that requires a lot less commitment. She's like, there's got to be another way. Um, but Mordecai, he keeps pushing her. He's like, this is your purpose. This is your time. And so that brings us to uh, Esther chapter 4. Uh, the verse, it all comes to this like very verse. This is the climax uh, part of the story. And so if you would read with me on the screen, starting verse 13, I want you to listen to his reply, how powerful it is, and then what she says back. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. After she realizes her, yeah, I am here for this very moment, she says, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go and see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered. So all this craziness is going on in, uh, in Esther and Mordecai's life, and most of it they can't explain. Most of it, if we didn't know the end of the story, um, we, we wouldn't be able to explain why all this was happening. But Mordecai, he knows that all this can't just be happening by chance. He's like, There's got, there has to be someone behind the scenes. And that's why he says, maybe you are here for a time like this. And this helps Esther realize her purpose in all this. And because... Uh, because of that, she says, if I die, I die. To say that, whoa. <laughs> like, big turnaround in her, her story. She realizes everything. And uh, they're, they're, they're trusting God in this, in this moment of crisis. And they're, I want you to notice, they're, they're not just sitting there twiddling their thumbs. They, they do something about it. And so my first point uh, this morning is, when God moves... We need to be ready. When God moves, we need to be ready. If we think we have no purpose, we will not be ready. If we think that, oh, I'm just going here to sit in my cubicle for nine hours. I'm, I'm just going to sit here and read this book. I'm just going to pour everything into this relationship, even though it's one-sided. If we think that we don't have a purpose in this, we aren't going to be ready when God shows up to move. We see this when Mordecai, I mean, he knew his purpose was to make sure Esther knew 
her purpose. He wasn't here to save the day. He knew that was Esther's purpose. So he made sure she knew that was her purpose. And then Esther, once she realized her purpose, she goes and she gets people to fast. She doesn't just go into see the king blindly. Um, she gets people to fast. She gets people together to fast and pray for three days. And so she was preparing. She was living like God was already doing what she believed would happen. She was preparing. We need to be living like God is already doing what we believe he's going to do. See, many of us, we freeze in the, the midst of crisis. We, or we just ignore God when, something, uh, when we really need him and we miss him knocking on our door. We miss the opportunity. He's here and he goes, hey, it's time to go. I have an assignment for you. It's time to run the race. And we're not ready. We haven't, if we haven't prepared, we're like, yo, I haven't even packed my bags yet. There, we need to be ready for when God moves. Well, it's way easier for God to use us uh, if we're already moving in that direction rather than if we're just feeling sorry for ourselves. So I asked Ian to be uh, a prop for me this morning. Uh, and so, Ian, I want you to illustrate this. I want you to sit down. And I'm going to try to get Ian, the big football player that he is, from point A to point B. And so, obviously, since I'm not that very strong, it's not that easy to get him there, right? And so, point A to point B, I barely even moved him. Well, now, Ian, I want you to stand up. And I want you to face that way. And I want you to slowly move. And even though he's slowly moving, it's a little easier for me to get him to point B. Thanks, Ian. <laughs> when, we, when we move, <laughs> just to let you know, he could push me way harder than I pushed him, so I, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, when we are already moving towards point B, God can use that way easier. I'm not saying that he can't pick us up. I'm saying that he, can, he will bless us already moving towards that point. And so I love, uh, I've been reading this book called Atomic Habits by, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Uh, I don't know if I can say I've been reading it. I listen to it in my headphones uh, like a true millennial. Uh, and uh, I've been reading this book and it says, uh, in the book he says, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. So what's he saying here? He's saying that winners and losers, they have the same goal. The person, like someone who wins and loses, they, they both want that job. They both want to lose 20 pounds. They both want their faith to be alive. But the difference is someone who wins, they have a system behind them. They have something to fall on. And so uh, I, I want, I've always wanted to be strong for like ever. But until... I'm still not, I'm not saying I'm strong, but I've, I'm, I'm slowly getting there. Uh, but I, I got a gym membership. I got uh, four days in a week that I know I'm going to be there. I've told people that are going to hold me accountable. I have a system that I'm going to fall back on. I don't know what your system is. It could look different. It could be getting a gym membership. It could be uh, setting a specific place in your house to read your word 
to read the Bible so you don't get distracted. It could be joining a small group, getting that community, that circle that will hold you accountable. If we have a system, we will most likely be winners. We don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. And so continuing, uh, going back to the book of Esther, after that moment, she realizes her purpose. Things totally flip. She, uh, Esther, she goes to the king, and then uh, the king, all of a sudden, he realizes that he, he forgot about Mordecai saving his life. And so he tells Haman, hey, I need you to, uh, Haman, obviously he hates Mordecai, I need you to bring Mordecai around on my royal horse and have everyone praise him. And so obviously that's, that's not making him too happy. Um, and then Esther tells the king uh, all the evil things that Haman's been up to. And so the king has Haman, the villain, impaled on this very, his very own stake that he made for M- Mordecai. And then the king allows the, uh, Mordecai and Esther to make this decree where they can defend themselves when people try and kill them. And they actually go and triumph over the people that try and kill them. And then at the end of the story, we see that Mordecai, he's raised to a higher, that higher position over everyone where Haman was at. So my next point is, when God moves, he moves suddenly. When God moves, he moves suddenly. God is a slow, fast God. That may have confused some of you. Uh, God is a slow, fast God. What I mean is that throughout the Bible, we see that God's time isn't like our time. Uh, he has a different time. And I love this illustration that we get in Esther because the first half of Esther, the first four chapters, there are uh, those where I said at the beginning, I explained all those just coincidences that happen. That's nine years. Nine years, those first four chapters. And now all that stuff I just explained, the the turnaround moments, the last four chapters, the last half of Esther, that's 24 hours. 24 hours. God is a slow, fast God. He's often doing things behind, behind the scenes that we aren't even aware of. He's slowly preparing us. I believe that God chooses the spiritual wilderness, the spiritual desert. That's where he chooses for growth. So when... We get fired from that job when our marriage isn't going well, when everything seems to be going wrong. When we end up on our knees, that's where God chooses for growth. That's the place where he chooses to have us grow. Just because we can't see him doesn't mean he isn't there. One of the coolest things about the book of Esther is that God's name isn't brought up once. Throughout the whole book, In the Bible, God's name isn't mentioned once. The only book in the Bible where God's name isn't even mentioned. Is that because uh, he's not present? Well, no, of course not. We we can see his fingerprints throughout the whole entire story. All those coincidences at at the beginning, those just didn't happen because they just happened to happen. God's hand was on this story the whole time. And so the point is, I think where Esther is trying, the book of Esther, when we read that, what it's trying to show us is how to deal with this invisibleness of God. Just because we can't trace God doesn't mean we can't trust God. Just because we can't see him doesn't mean we can't trust him. Uh, 
couple, actually, just last week, uh, Phil and I, we made some homemade ice cream for that ice cream event, which was super fun. Um, and so I went over to Phil's house. He recruited me to help him out. And I've never made homemade ice cream before. And But Phil, you know, the amazing baker that we know and love, uh, he he taught me the ways, and I just followed his order. And I was amazed by this process because, uh, you know, I never bake, so this is all new to me. Uh, there's this big old pan, or uh, whatever you call it, uh, circle thing, and that's that's my it's my language in the kitchen. Uh, circle thing, and we we put uh, we put all the ingredients in there. We put sugar, uh, we put peanut butter, we put raw eggs, we put bananas. I can't tell you all of our secret ingredients, uh, but we put all this stuff in there. And then we we slowly stirred it, and we heated it up, and we stirred it, and it was a slow process. And then I don't baking doesn't make sense to me because once it's heated up, we put it in the fridge to cool it off for a couple hours. Uh, and so then we're waiting for a couple hours, just sitting and waiting. And uh, after that, we go, we put it in the ice cream churner, and it's churning for a couple hours. And so this was like a eight-hour process for us. But at the right time, this thing tasted incredible. You should have seen Phil and I's eyes light up. Like when we tasted it, we're like, we're going to be famous. Like we just created a masterpiece. And so like we frame, we're going to frame that ingredients cut. And I'm just kidding. But like we just thought we like, this is incredible. But even though that tasted together, when so good when it came together, we got to remember that at the beginning, all those single ingredients, we can't get there without those single ingredients. Even though, like, most of us wouldn't want to just go eat a raw egg. Uh, that's not going to taste too good. We want the end product. We need that raw egg to get there. And the truth is, is that most of us need those raw egg relationships. Most of us need those raw egg moments in our life. Those raw egg situations to get us to where God wants us. We need all of it to come together for this very moment to see our purpose. See, we may not understand why we go through those raw moments. We may not understand what God is doing. But that's where uh, faith begins. When understanding ends, faith begins. And so that brings me to my my very last point uh, as we begin to wrap up. Uh, It says, when God moves, he flips the script. When God moves, he flips the script. I want you to see, you may have caught on already by the turnaround in the story. I want you to see the ironic flipping here of the script. The, the book, at the beginning and the end, they mirror each other. So if we could go to the next slide. Um, in, in chapter 1, we, we see the king's greatness. We see these feasts for the king. And it's mirrored by chapter 9 at the end, Mordecai's feast and his greatness. In chapter 2, Esther and Mordecai, they save the king. And that's mirrored by the end when Esther and Mordecai save the Jews. And Haman, in chapter 3, he's elevated to this highest position in the palace. And that's mirrored by the end when Mordecai is elevated to that highest position. Haman plans to kill Mordecai, but at the end, the king executes Haman on that very place he intended for Mordecai. And that all funnels down to that very moment where Esther discovered her purpose. That very moment is where 
she realized that she needed to be ready when God knocked. She needed to, be, she needed to move when God moved. She needed to be prepared so God could flip the script in her life. I hope you guys realize that this is just just a glimpse of the gospel. Just a glimpse of the beautiful story that we get. See, when these, uh, when these things occurred, like all of this, this, this book's in the Old Testament. So all of this uh, years of preparation for a Savior to come. Huge preparation. And then when the Savior does come and he's born, we still, he's 30 years of Christ's life where he's preparing. He's growing. 30 years of preparation. And then at the right time, God calls him to his purpose. And Jesus knew his purpose. And so he, he almighty God, he gave his self up to be beaten, to be put on this cross, nailed, to give his life for us. And just when, just when the enemy, just when Satan thought he saw victory, God came in and flipped the script like no other. He rose Christ to new life so we could be risen to new life. So that same spirit that rose him from the dead on the third day now lives in us. You may not be able to see it, uh, but that's where our faith starts. When we lose track of our understanding where things go, that's where we put our faith. So it's so important when God knocks that we need to be ready so he can flip the script. And so I want to pray for us as we, uh, we close up today. Invite Gary and the team back up. And so if you would pray with me and just be thinking about where God is calling you to set up your system, to set up, to start moving so God can move uh, with you. And so if you'd pray with me. Father, I'm just so thankful for this opportunity to preach your word. Lord, we are so um, blessed by how you see everything in a big picture. And we may lose understanding, Lord, but you see every detail. You know before we're even born where you want us to be. You know where our purpose is at, Lord. So I, I pray for the people in this room. I pray for every single person, for their heart as they walk into this room, Lord. Pray for the people that have gotten so caught up in routine, so caught up in just the worldly uh, day-to-day life. Lord, I pray that you would help them realize their purpose, that they would set up a system, they would get on track back to your purpose. Father, I pray for the people who are just so drained this morning, Lord. They feel like they keep trying to get back up on their feet, Lord. And the second that they get, feel like they have a, a firm standing, Lord, they get knocked back down. Lord, I just pray that they would be inspired by Esther, inspired by Mordecai, how much hope and trust they had. And Lord, I pray that you would fill them with peace. All the darkness that is surrounding them, all the darkness that is in their mind, Lord, I pray that you break those walls down, Lord. Lord, give them peace. Give them love. Lord, flip the script in our lives when you are ready.
Lord, we thank you so much for what you have already done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. And so we lift you up. In your name we pray. Amen.